Hello, my name is Tina Camellia and this is The Starting Block, a weekly conversation on science and society with an emphasis on disinformation, data and democracy. Before we start, I'd like to let you know that the transcript and credits for this conversation are available on the sidelines, the supplement to every main edition of The Starting Block. Now in the next lane, Professor Sargunan Sokolingam, physician and academic at the University of Malaya. Our topic this week, public engagement during the COVID-19 pandemic and its implications to the future of healthcare in Malaysia and beyond. Ready? Let's go. Okay. Um, how's life? Are you back in the front lines? Yeah, I start tomorrow for two weeks. It's not a pretty sight. The load is much heavier than what we had before. Um, we still can manage, but I don't think we can hold on for much longer. We've started t- touching the 4,500 per day mm-hmm. cases now. And I've not seen a single, single digit death per day for as long as I remember. But with the vaccine rollout that's happening slowly but surely, um, do you see that that might help alleviate the situation? Or is the rate of infection much higher than the rate of vaccination? Yeah, we don't even have to go there. The rate of vaccination is painfully slow. It's too slow. I, I, I'm not ashamed to say this because you know, we are supposed to be a country that's way ahead of everyone, Southeast Asia, one of the top countries. But no, it's it's really incredibly slow. I think we need to find out why. At this point, some are saying that the people are hesitant, but that's not true because they rolled out AstraZeneca vaccine through a lottery, first come, first serve. And uh, unfortunately, by within three, well, fortunately, within three to four hours, was all taken up. That's a sign that people really want the vaccine. And my biggest problem, pet peeve on this is that we're too slow on our vaccine. I cannot understand why. Let's take a few steps back and, and look into public engagement, because you said that maybe it's not so much about vaccine hesitancy, but rather the rollout of the vaccine. And there are a lot of um, speculations about where uh, the vaccines are going and how it is being distributed and mm. being prioritized. And part of that is the communication that's involved through the public health authorities, for instance. As someone who is familiar with the media industry and also uh, being engaged in um, science communication in media pre-pandemic, what is public engagement like in the old pre-pandemic world versus now when we're under lockdown, when we are online 24-7, therefore we get our information online as well. And at the same time, we're communicating about a novel virus, at least in the early phase where uh, there's limited knowledge about it. And so, you know, we're extrapolating from knowledge about other similar situations um, to be able to do evidence-based science communication. What is that like? Because it's not just science communication, isn't it? It's also crisis communication. Uh, you're right. I mean, where public is concerned, I think the public is well informed. What I don't see happening is how the public is addressing our knowledge of treatment of COVID-19 cases. Having seen what happened in India, so people now know that, yes, oxygen is precious. Mm. And people know that air oxygen is different from the oxygen that you get in your oxygen tanks, right? The oxygen tanks is concentrated. It reduces the work of the lungs. Mm. 
-hmm. especially when the lungs are sick. It uses, uses the work, makes oxygen transfer easily, avoids hypoxia, so it keeps your tissue healthy. So they, they have that level of knowledge. But unfortunately, what I'm a little worried is that the public doesn't seem to want to engage on that point. Mm. What I am happy about is how the public's well aware of the importance of physical distancing, wearing the mask, washing your hands. But what I find woefully lacking is isolation. People think right. that isolation is no longer important. And I, I can't see that. I, I don't understand. I might be isolated at home. Even though I'm vaccinated, I'm minimizing the number of people I meet. I don't understand why people don't have this with it. There's a huge gap knowledge there. And I think public can occasionally be a mob. I would love to use the word herd in a setting of immunity. Unfortunately, we have a herd mentality. Yeah, and, and I see that in every country in the world. We saw that in what happened uh, during the Trump era. Uh, we saw what happened uh, among people who refused to, to give up their, their rights of public appearance and during the, the peak of the pandemic. We saw that happen in Europe. We are now seeing something like that here, where especially when it comes to commerce, people are absolutely fine with jostling with one another, feeling their body heat, exchanging fluids. <laughs> it is seemingly okay, and I don't understand that. There seems to be some amount of information that is just wasted away. We don't know why. So I think we have to understand that that, that ship has sailed, where we tell people, hey, you need to isolate. No, that's over. So you could have an MCO. It doesn't help that the current MCO doesn't feel like an MCO because right. there's traffic jam everywhere. I still see people, crowds everywhere. So I think the basis of that is the priority now is an economy over lives. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the guiding principle. And I, I posted about that on Facebook and people seem to agree. And when it comes to vaccination and uh, vaccine rollouts and the information. So right now, there's complete mystery to me on what's happening on the procurement and the storage and the transfer. I don't know what's happening, but as a person who's received the vaccine, I could see that at least the storage and the administration of the vaccine part is fantastic. It's mm -hmm. very ordered, it's very peaceful, it's very knowledgeable the way things are being done. There's ample preparation for allergic responses. People are whisked to the emergency the moment we detect something wrong. And I'm pretty happy with that. And I've not mm. heard of any untoward incident. So that's that's really very good. But it just proves to us the point that the public is willing to help in the vaccine world. And we do not have a problem there. There's no blockage there. When it comes to uh, delivering the vaccine to the people, administering the vaccine, watching what happens, fabulous, fantastic. It's just that we don't know where the, how the vaccines are coming in, where they're in storage, why the delay, why are we transferring to places. So we really, really need to understand why is there a delay. And I understand that there are some very big excuses, good excuses coming in and you know, Malaysian society, we are being told that you should be subservient to the government. I think that as a taxpayer and, and as a civil servant, I have a right to ask because all we want is for things to be easy. The faster mm -hmm. we vaccinate everyone, I think half the battle is won. And we're going to see less cases, at least falling very ill. 
but we are nowhere there. Our statistics mm. show that we are very, very close to what India has experienced. And this is where it's really getting worrying. So the, the, the media is well-informed, but you have to understand that we just had, you just had a World Media Freedom or Press Freedom Day. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, yeah, Press Freedom, I know. So <laughs> you just got to wake up. Yeah. No, I, I have, a, I, my solution to this, if you don't want me to talk, I know talk, that's it. You all can sit down, think but, Kumbaya, yeah, everything's fine, you know. Just but you are talking. Word. You are talking, mm -hmm. and you're and you're talking quite critically of the whole situation. Obviously, you aren't the only um, healthcare professional who is speaking out. Yeah. And in the past few months, there's been some sort of like reining in or gatekeeping the the flow of information, especially from yeah. um, healthcare workers who are in the public sector, such as yourself. I mean, speaking of you know press freedom or freedom of information and so on. How do you respond to something like that? Because especially with the availability of social media and having this direct interaction with them, the public having this direct interaction with people like you asking questions, how do you react to that when, when you're told to, you know, toe the line and follow the official script? The easiest way to react to that is to follow the follow what is being told, toe the line and follow the script. It's, it's really the easiest way. But there are ways to go around it. For instance, one reason why I find it very difficult to do, because as a diagnostician, when we see a problem, we have to call it out. If right. a patient comes to you with abdominal pain, I need to know what's causing that pain. If I say that it is acute appendicitis, when it is acute appendicitis, that's the truth. Now you can deal with that. But when it is acute appendicitis, but I say, no, it's just gastritis because gastritis is easier to treat, cost is less. And you tell the person, look, it's just gastritis and you walk out. That's basically why we are very much against keeping to that because if there is a mistake, this whole emperor's new clothes situation, lives could be lost. And it'll mean double work for people like me because now we have to deal with a more complicated situation instead of having had dealt with it first. The question comes now is why are we being told to toe the line? You do not want to generate panic. They do not want a matter of national security to come out, which is understandable. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you, you don't need us for that. The matter of national security is already in the uh, social media messages that are coming out. You know, we could just sit for 30 minutes, wait, you will see something coming out there that it's absolutely worrying. Now, I didn't generate that, but there it is. It has exposed the more powerful population. It has exposed the power of social media and what we seem to call as epidemic misinformation. Yeah, so, so this is what we are actually dealing with. Right? And I think this is where I find the answers as to why are we seeing another wave? Why are we seeing a very slow vaccination rate? I always believe that what we need is a situation room. We need a task force made up of epidemiologists, scientists, infectious disease physicians, biomedical statisticians. And we need these group of people, including our IT specialists and those who can run simulations. We need them to run the show. We need them to tell us 
what needs to be, what has to be done, and not emotional leaders. That, that, that's what we need right now. I, I don't see that happening anywhere in the world. I'm not just talking about Malaysia. I don't see it happening anywhere in the world. It's about that person who comes out on TV every day. And I think that's a waste of time. What we need is information delivered in a very succinct, very organized manner. And that's it. And we need the science behind this. I don't see it happening in maybe to some extent, I think something like this is happening in the UK. The NHS is a science-based organization. Uh, we, we have a service-based organization. India found out the hard way, despite being a country which probably has the most number of professionals, scientists, epidemiologists, and so on, you know what, I just can't control it. And they are also a vaccine-producing country. We can ask, why isn't Malaysia a vaccine-producing country? Yeah. We, we have the technology and we find out that we actually have fantastic technology in Malaysia. Mm. Of course, half of them are outside Malaysia. Everyone's Malaysian born and getting awards and so on. But there are great talents here. But we, we haven't even looked into that. And the, I think the reason for that is our obsession with industrialization. I remember our conversation before this whole thing blew up into a, a full-blown pandemic and and. This was like over a year ago, we were having beers and watching a live jazz show. And you were talking about um, basically a projection of, of what actually turned into reality. That's something that you and your peers have, um, you foresaw that. And I'm sure that you have rang the alarm bells. What happened? What? Why was there a leakage in the information flow? No, the, 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 the answer to that is very insignificant. Who wants... Doctors and nurses, uh, healthcare, uh, physiotherapists, occupational therapists to come and give their opinion. Nobody cares, right? Until it's too late. I think everything is about funding in the end of the day. It's the flow of right. money. But people don't want to fund this kind of things, right? They do not want to fund an analysis of a future projection. Hey, this is what's going to happen. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe we just prefer, prefer to see this in movie like World War Z. Yeah, or Contagion, for instance, I think Contagion 2012 came out and listed on everything. And we saw how everything was so accurately predicted. And despite that, uh, we had some little epidemics coming up here and there, but we still didn't learn. When you have people in charge who do not have science as a background, and are you able to be that person in how in Malay we say, Turon Pada? Yeah. Are you that person? Right. You're not. So that's why I'm very supportive of, um, we have uh, our minister who is in charge of vaccination. At least I hear some decent things coming out of him. And he's talking about science. He says, look, we need to look at science right now. He's the only person who said this. But then again, it's, I think, too little, too late. So when a society that is being fed with the gilded sword of economic growth wealth accumulation as the ultimate aim. You don't have time for this. And finally, it caught up. We can thank, we can thank climate change for this. And you know, when the permafrost melts more, there are more viruses coming out. Yeah. This is nothing compared to what we will experience in 10 years. This is absolutely nothing. And what can possibly happen is a series of virus that comes out at the same time. An encephalitic virus, a gastroenteric virus, a respiratory virus, hematological virus, all coming out at the same time. That is highly possible. 
Oh, we might as well have an asteroid come and strike us. Yeah. So that's where I see things going right now. Okay. Yeah. You you tell me when it's going to be over. You think it's this year? Now, forget it. We'd be lucky to see the end of this, end of 2022. The, the mutations are going to catch up with us. There we go. But with the, with the mutation that becomes more deadly, that will spell the mm-hmm. end of the virus. As a virus, I think I would want to survive. I want high yeah. uh, infection rate, mm-hmm. but I don't want my host to die. Do you see this virus sure. turning so into virus, something uh, that, that's like HIV, for instance, where you know you can live a long, long time with virus? So that's the ultimate role of any virus, that is mm-hmm. to coexist with the host. And we could see that the advent of uh, anti-HIV therapy or the uh, highly active antiretroviral therapy is in fact a bigger picture of how the virus learns to coexist with humans. So it could well be not the humans who are planning this. It could be the entire uh, viral uh, genome that's 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 planning all of the, hey, one day, no problem. We can all live happily. You know, these people figure out what to do. Uh, yeah. So, but in the path to that, that will be mutations that kill. And when that happens, it's like a it's like a g- genetic code that's gone rogue, that's mm. beyond control. That's just going to you know uh, kill as many people until it dies out along with it. So you will see like a branch out. So out of the ten, let's say it branches out, maybe four are these deadly mutations that don't care. They they do a harakiri kamikaze thing. That the other the other six. Are like okay, they are going to go along the lines of that. So that is, I, I mean, virologists would be better place to tell you. But mm-hmm. I think, uh, as a person who studies immunity and autoimmunity, I see that, and I've seen that even in non-infectious cases, when we try to treat rheumatoid arthritis first with certain medications, the biologics like monoclonal antibodies, there seems to be a resistance developing, mm-hmm. and because our bodies develop resistance against medication. Right. So this idea of resisting is a two-way thing. Humans may eventually develop immunity towards COVID-19 that actually works, but it's going to take a long time for that to happen. But the viruses move faster because they, they're more like a pack of wolves that are more mobile. They can go from one to another, whereas we humans are we've learned to root ourselves into one place, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not as mobile as the virus. I was reading a report that was released just this month by the European Federation of Academies of Sciences and Humanities that said that there's a paradox, right? Scientists are generally held in high esteem in many societies due to their extraordinary contributions to human health and welfare and are also involved in addressing current societal challenges. But at the same time, um, the progress of science is envied and the terminologies appropriated I suppose, by pseudoscientists. So the trust in science is paradoxically under attack. Do you see yourself as someone who's like being thrust to the front lines in more than one way, whether it's in the clinical setting or social media? Do you see that as a double-edged sword situation? Oh, yeah. I totally agree with you. It's definitely a double-edged sword because it's the cost of information, really. Information is useful. Unfortunately, in today's era, we find people talking about end products 
that mm-hmm. now are going to generate revenue. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's all about. Now, we don't have to go so far. If you look at what this whole pandemic has done, it's created mm-hmm. a market for vaccines. So conspiratory theories will all go and say, oh yeah, at the end of the day, this whole big thing is to create a new market. But then if you talk about that, you can create a new market for anything. What's the other side? The other side is the moment you get people engaged in actively searching for the right information. I think that's 90% of the battle one. And I see that happening. To me, I see it as, look, more people are interested in finding out what's right. So, you know, if you read Dostoevsky, he would say that the function of a lie is to ultimately reveal the truth. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. And I think this is how we are going to learn. It's going to be a hard, bumpy ride. But eventually, people are going to know the way we know that hydroxychloroquine doesn't work in COVID-19. So it was a hard and bumpy road. But you know what? Some people profited from it. The company that made hydroxychloroquine made a lot of money. But that's, that's the way things are. So there's a kind of a mob and herd mentality in all of this. So what to do about the uh, double-edged sword? Choose a side. And I choose the side of not, not for any good reasons, because I like it. I like to look at facts and find out how these facts can be transmitted to the public so that, you know, it makes things better for everybody. Yeah. You may not earn money, but at least you can be comfortable. Well, you're a very noble yeah. guy, so... Thank you, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, that, that's because, that, that, that's because um, the good news is I have a profession which gives me regular income. So I'm lucky. I, I don't have to think of uh, food for the next month and so on. But our day-to-day life is physically and mentally absolutely draining. Mm. And um, I, I was used, would like to think that we're all noble. Uh, I'd like to, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So let's just wrap up in our final stretch of this conversation. Maybe your finishing yeah. line on the implication of this pandemic. That's not over yet. No. Future practices in healthcare. For instance, with public engagement, with how the medical community Mm. and the media can work together, with how public policy in public health is going to be shaped. Definitely, this is going to change things a lot because it's now out in the open. We need the scientists to be out there making the decisions. That's it. We, we need epidemiologists, we need IT experts who can help with simulation processes using big data, data analysis. We need that. We need to start projection. We have enough data to do that right now. And then we need to get the scientists, epidemiologists to now design public healthcare policies. Okay, how important is public transport in the scheme of things right now? How are we going to design our public transport? How are we going to make sure that we move people, we move them safe? Because you're vaccinated against COVID-19, but the, the next virus is <laughs> right on the horizon, just appearing. What are we going to do then? And these are things that we need to actually sit down and talk about. And now everything is World Health Organization. And I mean, credit to them, what they are up against, it's, it's really very difficult. They're up against a lot of criticism and so on. It's not easy. But I really think that we need a specialized task force. Get the private sector involved if necessary. If private sector can now send... Uh, successful rockets to to space and back 
Uh, we see the success of Elon Musk's and uh, Jeff Bezos's programs. So I think this is good. We need financing. Otherwise, it's going to be a disaster that, that's already playing out now. Yeah. So it'll change things. Uh, but how it's going to change, we need to decide that now. What's, mm. what's right? When is it safe to have a music concert now? Mm. So we need the right people to decide that. Not politicians. I don't blame them. I'm not saying they're bad. But you are not trained for the job. It's like asking a doctor to now become a pilot. Right? Mm. We are asking unqualified people to manage a healthcare emergency. Uh, seriously, guys? Uh, you know, yeah. So so I, I really feel that the, the moment is now. We need the right people. I'm very lucky that the, the we work with some really fantastic people in University of Malaya. Uh, you know who they are. And um, I wish we could give them more opportunity and more chance. It's great catching up with you. I'm sure I'll have you back on at some point again. That's Professor Sargunan Sokalingam, physician and academic at the University of Malaya, on the subject of public engagement on the starting block. If you'd like to join me on the show for conversations like this, get in touch at tinacamilla.substack.com. You can also find a transcript to this conversation there. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with someone. Till the next one. Goodbye for now.